in today's episode, we're just going to talk about chapbooks, what they are, what we love about them. Welcome to the first episode of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stutzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are the directors at Bull City Press, an independent publisher of poetry fiction and creative nonfiction, where we focus on, wait for it, you guessed it, chapbooks. <laughs> we started this podcast to talk about our love of chapbooks, to demystify the publishing process, and share with you what's going on in the world of chapbooks. introduce myself. I think the people want to know who you are. Yeah. My name is Noah Stetzer, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I've been with Bull City Press for seven or eight years now. Um, I, I am a publisher. I, I am an author of a chapbook that came out from uh, Redbird Chapbooks. It's called Because I Can See Needing a Knife. And I'm a cancer. I'm Ross White. I'm the director of Bull City Press um, and founded the press got 15 years ago, Noah. Wow, it's been 15 yep. years. I am also a writer and have written two chapbooks that were published by Unicorn Press. How We Came Upon the Colony was the first, and The Polite Society was my second one. And I have a third one coming in September. I'm very excited. It's called Valley of Want. Oh, nice. Very nice. So I think before we go too much further, it's, it's important to establish that... I don't have nearly as much experience in the chapbook world as you do, Mr. Ross White. But I do have some experience. I've been with the press for a number of years and in the role as an editor. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm happy to share my experiences, but I also recognize that it's specific to me and not necessarily law or anything like that. I think that's what I love about you, Noah, is that... You are always learning, right? Like I, 15 years in, I don't feel like I'm an expert on the chapbook either. And I am kind of an apprentice still to the chapbook as a form. We're not the be all end all, but we wanted to start this podcast because we hope that we do have some neat stuff to share with people. We get a lot of questions about chapbooks from our readers, from people who meet us at book fairs. And we've realized there's a lot of mystery around them. They're, they're shrouded in <laughs> questions. <Ooh>. <laughs> what is a chapbook? Right? That's right. a question that a lot of people ask. And a lot of times they're like, is it the same as a chapter book? I remember reading those in elementary school. Right, right. And and you can see why someone would think that. Um, I did a little uh, noodling on the internet before today's episode um, to find out a little of the history of chapbooks. One of the things I really like about um, where chapbooks originated, if this is true, all things on the internet being sort of up for grabs, uh, is that chapbooks kind of started as another way of getting things published. That, that didn't go through the typical publishing channels, if you will. It was sort of, uh, sort of like bootlegging, if you will, for publishers. Um, and oftentimes they were little pamphlets. They were much more uh, or much less expensive to, to, to manufacture um, and, and were more widely available to sort of the everyday person who was reading. Um, so I kind of like this sense that uh, we're still learning what a chapbook is and 
in a certain sense, a chapbook is still figuring out what it can be because it started out this way as sort of this, what's the word I'm looking for, where it's like outside the norm. It's sort of outside the mainstream. Um, and, and because of that, it gets to decide sort of decide how it wants to behave. There's not really a firm and fast rule for how a chapbook is supposed to look, right? Yeah, right. I, I love what you're saying about chapbooks starting out sort of outside of the the monolithic printing industry because I've been reading a book by Adrian Johns called Piracy, The Intellectual Property Wars from Gutenberg to Gates. And Johns talks a lot about what the printing business was like in England in the like 1630s through the 1700s mm-hmm. when the term piracy was invented, right? And it it, it was uh, highly regulated. There, there were printers' guilds, and there were certain ways things were done. So, you know, surprise, the English were concerned with propriety. <laughs> but chapbooks kind of existed outside of that, right? Like, if I'm not mistaken, the the sort of traveling salesman who would roll through and sell you these these little cheap pamphlets or books was called the Chapman. That's exactly right. They're called chapbooks. And and, and while they, they faded in popularity in the early part of the 20th century, um, they did have a resurgence. If one is to believe everything one reads on the internet, they had a resurgence during the fifties and the sixties, particularly with the beat poets. I I was looking up uh, information about chapbooks and, and a book that gets pictured often alongside histories of chapbooks is Allen Ginsberg's Howl, uh, which was a, a small book. I, I think it, it sort of looks like a chapbook, but if you, if you if you kind of look more closely at it, it, it maybe isn't exactly what we consider a chapbook today. But at the time, uh, Ferlinghetti uh, was at an Allen Ginsberg reading and, and approached Ginsberg and said, I love that I, he heard him. He heard him read Howl, and he said, "I love that poem. I want to, you know, I want to put it out in a pamphlet." And then they added a couple extra poems to go with it because they didn't feel like it was enough to fill the book. But if you look today, that that, that Getty publication is a little over fifty pages long, which is kind of long for a, a chapbook, if I'm not mistaken. Like we don't really look at chapbooks uh, for more than a certain number of pages anymore. Well, the. The modern definition of chapbook really is based around page numbers. And a lot of the reason for that is once a book hits about 44 pages and you add in front and back matter, finally the spine is wide enough that when it stands on the shelf so that you can't see the cover, you can only see the spine, it's finally wide enough that a customer in a bookstore would be able to find the book. And so... In the modern parlance, a chapbook is any book that's fewer than 44 pages simply because that spine's not going to show up for a customer. So it makes chapbooks commercial oddities. Now, I know that wasn't like always the case. And for a while, we kind of thought of the chapbook as being something that was maybe saddle stitched or even saddle stapled, but that that didn't even necessarily have a spine. But I think that that portion of the definition has sort of faded away as small publishers have found digital printers that can put a spine on a book as few as as 28 pages. 
Right. And simultaneously, there are still publishers who are embracing the idea of the chapbook as an object, right? As a sort of like a, of a crafted item. And, and sometimes they are sort of leaning into the idea of the stitching, uh, of the handmadeness of it. And I think that is one of many examples of how the idea of a chapbook is so open-ended that it allow it's capacious, right? For, it's so interesting that a chapbook, which is really sort of uh, like sort of in its foundation, sort of a small thing, right? It's this idea of brevity, but the the concept of a chapbook is so wide open. What it could be, what what could happen within it. Um, th- there's no hard and fast rule. And I think that's one of the things I really like about chapbooks is that they're sort of, you know, they, they get to sort of bend the rules or break the rules. I don't even know what rules I'm thinking of, <laughs> like what rules the chapbook would break. But if there were any, I think the chapbook breaks them because you can kind of do what you want um, in, in the space of a chapbook. I, that's what I love about chapbooks. Sometimes writers who are just starting out will ask me, you know, how long should my book be? And my answer is always, how long does your book need to be? (laughs) Because it should be that long and not a single page more, not a single page less. And that's maybe not something that you could say if you worked at one of the big New York City publishing houses, right? They do have some length requirements, not just for spine length, but just for readers' expectations of what books are. You know, a lot of those publishers, they don't want a novella, but they want a novel. They wouldn't look at a chapbook of poems, but they want a book of poems. But sometimes, as a writer, your project is done at 18 pages or at 24 pages. And why not have the luxury of ending there? Right. And, and also the, the freedom not to feel like you have to get it somehow dovetailed into a larger project or you feel like, you know, what am I going to do with these, you know, 12 poems that feel different than what I'm doing? One of my favorite things is when mid-career writers, writers who have establish themselves and we kind of think we know who and what they are as a writer mm-hmm. when they have this sort of weirdo redheaded step child of a project that sort of steps outside of what everyone thinks they can do and i think we're seeing more mid-career writers come up with these kinds of projects and publish them as chapbooks than we did for some years. And that just delights me when a writer sort of stuns me with their adventurousness. Right. It's this, it's this sort of uh, yes and idea from, from an artist. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, record, do you remember EPs? Oh from, yeah, I remember from, EPs. From bands, um, or, or, I remember them because I'm old like you. Right. <laughs> if you don't know what an EP is, uh, it, it's in the, the same sort of jargon as an LP, like a long playing record. Um, and then there was an, an EP was an extended play record. And, and the, the gist was that it, it wasn't a full album. It was, it was maybe six songs. 
songs, sometimes only four songs. And it was, it was oftentimes limited. There weren't, there wasn't going to be just an endless supply of these EPs. Um, And it was work that the band or the singer, you know, it, it wasn't ready to put on an album or it was covers of songs they didn't really have the license to record, but always played at their shows and all their fans wanted a recording of it. And so you sort of bought it out of the back of the van after the show was over. And, <laughs> and so and the, the, that quality that, that chapbooks can have is something that's really attractive to me. But you know, that back of the van, so often that was you know, the EP was what the band recorded because they only had enough money to get into the studio to record those four tracks. Right. And and so those were bands that were starting out would often do EPs. And that's another thing I love about Chapbooks is that so often as a writer starts out their career, they might not yet know how to approach a project that's going to span 80 pages. And sometimes they do kind of have their head around a project that's shorter. And so a lot of times a, a chapbook is a debut collection too. And that that to me is also really exciting, uh, that early energy from somebody. And a lot of times people are using the chapbook to teach themselves how to write at scale, how to put poems together and have them talking to each other, how to sequence a collection so that it's got something that's like satisfying and intense and utterly necessary. And I think we see a ton of like just amazing debut chapbooks. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And and one of the the best qualities is that you know, sort of as a container, if you will, the chapbook allows so much freedom. And really, the flip side of that is like there's not so much you can do that's wrong in a chapbook um, in terms of putting it together. Which, which I think, as you're describing, as a brand new, you know, emerging writer, is a wonderful feeling to have. And I think you know, from our role as publishers, there's not a lot we can do wrong either. You know, we don't have the same expectations that a large New York house would have around sales. And we're really free to take on projects just because we love them without worrying too much about the, you know, how it's going to stand in the marketplace. We're going to try to get it to as many readers as possible. And what that means is that we can make the book be whatever it needs to be. And if that means, you know, funky binding, we can do it. If that means super tiny pages, we can do it. If that means super huge pages, we've done it. I, I love that, that the design of the book itself becomes an extension of the writing. Right. That the design of the book itself is, you know, a three-dimensional metaphor for the idea of, of, the, of the, the chat book. So listen, if you like this podcast where we're talking about nothing but chapbooks and how much we love them, why not go ahead and click subscribe or better yet, tell a friend. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the other major pod places. And you can find out what we and our friends at Bull City Press are up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Our handle is at Bull City Press, or you can visit us at our website, bullcitypress.com. Next time on the podcast, we're going to get into the kinds of things we look for and what catches an editor's attention when they're reading chapbook manuscripts in the submissions pile. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.